0: this is daniel Figel, and you're listening to the ai and business podcast this is where non-technical leaders stay ahead of the ai curve if you don't want to learn to write python but you do want to be able to identify high roi ai projects and lead ai strategy you found yourself in the right place In this episode, we're going to be talking about banking, more specifically, customer experience. If you've ever called your bank, as I have many times, you're aware of how painfully dire the need is to improve that experience for customers. And AI is part of the solution, but it has its challenges. Our guest this week is Ian Wilson. Ian Wilson happens to have some pretty rich experience in the financial services space. He served as the head of AI at HSBC, one of the largest financial services organizations in the world. He has served as advisor to a number of venture-backed AI firms, and he now runs Strategy for AI, a strategy and consulting firm based in Cambridge in the UK. Ian covers two important topics in this particular episode with a lot of his up-close and personal experience. Number one, Where is some of the low-hanging fruit where conversational interfaces actually can deliver an ROI? What are the places where AI can actually step in, interact with a customer, and not make it worse, but potentially make it better? Ian talks about some of those use cases and how to identify them within a financial services organization. And after that, we talk a little bit about some of the challenges where are the places where maybe we don't want to think about making the leap with conversational, or where are the places where conversational systems really should serve the purpose more of routing to the proper human versus trying to handle things in an automated or AI-enabled way. And so this episode is about identifying where the value is today and also identifying where are humans honestly probably a better experience and where do we need to keep them in the loop and what's it going to take to actually overcome that moving forward. So a bit of a reality check on the conversational experience side of things with a particular focus and bent on financial services. Hopefully everybody tuned in gets something out of this episode. Ian will be with us again not too long from now in the AI and financial services podcast. So if you're on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, check out the AI and Financial Services podcast. You just type that in there and you will find our other podcast where we specifically focus on use cases in that industry. Ian has been a past guest on that show and will be joining us again not too long from now. So if you like what you're hearing today, check us out in the AI and Financial Services podcast. Otherwise, let's fly into this episode. There's a lot to cover. This is Ian Wilson with Strategy for AI here on the AI and Business podcast. So Ian, I'm glad to be able to have you back in the program today. We're we're speaking about an industry that you know very well from a great many years working in some of the largest enterprises in this space and that is banking. And we're touching on conversational interfaces, particularly in kind of the customer-facing, customer service oriented function. You've been up close and personal watching large financial institutions attempt to adopt this kind of technology. Talk a little bit about how you've seen them approach conversational in, in the financial services world, and what you've seen kind of go right and wrong there, just from a high level, because I think your your vantage point is valuable.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you know the report card from the past five years, I would say, is mixed, but trying hard.
0: <laughs> okay. And I, so I
1: think it's a really, it's a really interesting mixed picture. So m- most recently, I've been working with a lot of banks in the Middle East. Focusing on both AI and digital transformation, and so obviously a key thing they're looking at with digital transformation is their device interfaces, and and a big part of those is having conversational interfaces. So I, I see it moving, you know, out of the traditional European North American world and and being adopted, you know, kind of en masse in in different larger regions as well. But you know, the, the mixed report card is I think that some places it's worked well, and some places it's worked less well. And I I think those things are really not that surprising, given what we're seeing. So in, in particular, one of the key aspects is, you know, looking back five years ago, there was an explosion of these interfaces, and they were getting used everywhere. And some places were just not really the right place for a conversational interface, where some places really were. And so... The application area, I think, for me, has always been the first place. What part of the business are you looking to use that in? And first out of the gate that was most obvious, but in hindsight was the most wrong, was sticking them in front of the customer. And the problem with that is the timing, where we were 5, 10 years ago. And bear in mind, I, I was working with conversational interfaces more than 20 years ago. So I've been working with them for a long time. Way before it was cool. Way before it was cool. Um, (laughs) Way way before there was money there, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) So what turned out to be really interesting, uh, and this is something that I worked on as well, was first of all, rolling conversational interfaces out into places where the risk was much less. And in particular, things like help desk, internal help desk, because if it didn't work out correctly, well, you know, that wasn't awesome, but it was, at least it was your, your own internal staff. It wasn't your frontline retail customers. And while that was the kind of nirvana everybody wanted to get to, everybody wanted an autonomous agent to do their customer service. Turns out that's the most difficult place to put one. And so while you'd really love to get it there, it probably wasn't the right place to begin with, where it did get a lot more traction and success was putting it in places like internal help desk because there's a much higher tolerance for things not being ideal with your own internal staff as long as it was helping out. So so that was really interesting. Another element was I think a lot of people, when they think about chatbots, they were thinking about voice versus chat per se. And where I've seen them work much, much better is... I think the voice area rather than the chat area, again, this points to the application area. Are you trying to get it into your telephone service or to your Facebook agent that's going to cut out your contact center potentially? That's an area they've worked much, much better. And the device, I think, has been a key driver because if if you're working with customers that are on a mobile device, that is an area where chat can save a lot of time. If those people are on a PC, which increasingly they're less and less on PC, so time is a, is a good benefit there, then it's actually not. It's probably slower. It's easier to click around on when you're on a PC. So as your customer base moved from PC to mobile devices, that's been a great way to shift over to conversational agents because it just turns out to be easier to type. And particularly as you get a younger audience coming in. So something I see a lot talking about digital transformation is resistance from older customers and how they're very much focused on the younger customer. So, again, initially, banks would have rolled out these agents on their PC banking that was predominantly used by older people, and it was the wrong application on the wrong device to the wrong age group. And, of course, they suffered. (laughs) That it didn't work out as well as everyone expected, where now we've seen a transition to focusing on the younger audience on their mobile app, doing chat, which is something that they're you know, completely digitally native with. And that works much, much better. So, you know, you would see... You know, everybody wanted, again, in the first instance, to, to do, do the customer support. They wanted to get rid of the telephone. And, you know, 20 years ago, that's what I was working on. But it, it turns out one of the problems there was actually lack of need because IVR systems, the telephone systems, the kind of old analog systems, had become so good that they could take away much of that need just by saying, press one for sales, press two for lettings, yep. press three for blah, blah, blah. Turns out that, that's good enough to chop down most of your traffic. Yeah. And so all the need that I think a lot of vendors said they could solve, turns out it wasn't actually there. And, and I think that's probably quite normal with a lot of new technologies is it takes time to understand where the niche is. And perhaps it's not going to be quite all-encompassing in the short term. Maybe in the longer term, as you get used to it, it starts to expand. Yeah. But I think now they've found their niche. And I know a lot of really great companies that have some really great tools. And I think there's a – well, I'd hes- hesitate to say killer app. I think that's probably putting a curse on it. But I think <laughs> perhaps now another confluence of trends has given – these app conversational applications—a bit of a killer app—which is the, the convergence of language interfaces, either voice or text, with RPA. What that means is, by voice, you can trigger an action. So it's not just having a conversation; you can actually do something. And you know, I saw this recently on on, on an application where. What was I doing? It, it was uh, Hotels.com or something like okay. that. And, and they said, oh, sorry, we can't cancel your booking. And then the chatbot came up and said, oh, oh, I can do it. I'm like, awesome. And so I went ahead and chatted and it was able to take all the actions. It wasn't just, oh, we'll, we'll log that and, and give you a support ticket. Here's the support number. Let's, we'll come back when we've done something. It could actually do it. And I think being able to do, trigger by voice an actual action yeah. For me, it's really where this technology will, will shine because then y- you don't feel like it's kind of, I think there's a, there's a feeling with a lot of consumers that these agents get in the way yes. because ultimately you've got to get to a person yeah. to actually get something done.
0: Yeah.
1: If the agent itself can actually take the action, suddenly, oh, I don't need the, I don't need the person. That's where I think they they can start to shine. And I think that's where we're really seeing a lot of focus, particularly in the banking world now, is because at the same time as these interfaces have been growing, the automation on the back end has been growing. You can now start to plug both of those things together and get this seamless system. And I think that's where they'll really start to shine.
0: Cool. So we got a lot to unpack. Let me just go ahead and dive in on a couple of things you mentioned. There's a few points I'm taking away, and I want to clarify these for the audience as well. One is when you said how you saw this stuff come into the banking world, you've been following interacting with the customer with AI for a lo- you know decades, but again, before it was cool. But as you've seen in this, this most recent wave, it sounds like there were a few potential errors or potential maybe missteps early on. Number one, they were targeting a general customer or a legacy customer that maybe wasn't as hip to this kind of technology off the get. To the interface, so the mobile app versus just kind of some website visitor. There was an interface selection problem Maybe it could have been more focused. Third is, instead of building some competency with some uh, low-hanging fruit applications or some even internal uh, customer or, or mm-hmm. kind of Q&A kind of applications, they went straight for, let's handle the questions as they come in the front door with AI. So it feels like there was a, a lack of crawl before you walk, before you run, and it also feels like there might have been a, a lack of a focus Am I not chilling as
1: well? It is. And I think there's an underlying driver that, that's a typical theme again, which is vendors came in to solve the problem, not focus on where they did what was asked, not what was right. And what was asked was where was the problem in day one? And day one, you go about five, 10 years, and it's how much we're spending in our call center on the phone. That was where the problem was. So if you were a bank and, and wanted to solve a problem, you said, come in and solve me that problem. That's the problem I have today. So, of course, vendors would go and do it because they, you know, they want to try and do that. Banks would not have said five years ago, oh, build me a chatbot for Facebook or on my mobile device because they didn't have it. And so, that was, while that was the right thing to do, it wasn't what was being asked and it wasn't where the money was. Where the money was was come and solve our problem for our phone customer service because we want to cut that down. And so, of course, a vendor would say, "Okay, we'll 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 go for it," and that probably wasn't, you know, the optimal choice. Uh, and you know, it's the typical pattern.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, well, and we, we saw so much of it now that we see today. Even the first time we interviewed you, whatever it was, two and a half, three years ago, much more willy-nilly promising was able to be gotten away with then than than now. And even for the vendors, it's like, where did that get them? It didn't get them anywhere. Not a good reputation. Not any lasting yeah. customers. So. Hopefully some of that we've been beyond, and now there are platforms that are becoming more mature. When you think about in terms of kind of a closing note here around where leaders can focus, your experience I think helps to, I think we'll we'll make this much more clear for the folks tuned in, applying analytics to customer service data and or applying automation to some of that low-hanging fruit for customer service data, what kind of advice would you have for leaders thinking about how to get more value, whether it be cost savings or upsell, cross-sell, or whatever? Getting more value from analytics and and conversational and customer service, what are considerations to think about first projects and think about ways to get started?
1: Well, I I would hope by now that those leaders have got more experience. And I think that there's a whole uh, whole bunch of trends coming together. One is the fact that leaders now have experience. They've gone through a few years. They understand where it works, where it doesn't, which vendors have the best products, what's the right area to go into but on top of that again like this connection with conversational interfaces and rpa you can also now see the confluence of being able to connect to analytic systems so you can do this automated for example cross selling and upselling why because the data is there now but if you know even 2 years ago your cross selling data was produced into a report from some off- offline data science of course, your, your conversation system couldn't read that. But if you're now using a real-time analytic system where your conversational service can actually query in real time and say, okay, we've got customer one, two, three, four, five. They're on the phone with this query. Can you give me also their cross-sell information? What What can we cross-upsell them while they're here? If you can do that in real time, then that's a real benefit. But it's only starting to become available now. So that's where I would say leaders should be focused. Understand what you've got available now because it's not what you had available a year ago. And it won't even be what you've got available next year. So you need to keep tracking that because that, for me, will be where all the gold is because your competitors are probably not doing that yet. So you can jump into that and it might be ready. So just always keep an eye on what do you have Inside your own organization, how are they progressing? When can you make use of them?
0: Is there any guidance at all? As a final quick question here on the application side, I I love that advice, and and hopefully, our listeners are going to take that to heart. There's the side of, as you mentioned, some companies started way too early throwing this stuff in front of customers, trying to answer questions, and that was pretty unrealistic. Leveraging analytics on top of our existing data streams for customer service is something that might not actually interrupt the customer's experience at all. It might just kind of help give us some value. Is it somewhat inevitable for you that some level of analytics will happen on the back end before we even do any low-hanging fruit automation on the front end? Or do you think there's no necessary order there? They could happen one or the other. It doesn't really matter.
1: So, so the way I tend to look at it is, and I know a lot of consultancies use this same kind of paradigm, which is assist or support, augment, and automate And so you don't have to jump straight into automation with the the back-end analytics. So it might be that the stage you're at today, you can only get that analytics at the back-end and use it once they pass you over to a human user and it comes up on their screen. But then as you move forward in time, you become so slick at producing those analytics. It's part of your real-time system, and then your conversational agent can actually grab them and use them so then you can actually automate the whole process or maybe today you're you're so far behind that you're at the kind of assist or support stage where your analytics is just a report on somebody's desktop and if somebody asks them a question they can give you an answer but obviously that's not real time it's yeah. not online it's not that much use so i think today what you'll see is a lot of augmentation where hopefully most places if you get dropped off to a human assistant they've got some augmentation on their screen that can say, oh, by the way, upsell them this while you're here. That will then move forward once you get more infrastructure in place. Then you start pushing that up the stack so it can become automated. And then you no longer need a person to do it. You can plug it into your conversational agent. So it's not really a case of whether you have it or not. It's how can you use it? Can you just produce a report? Can you augment a person or can you automate the whole thing? And you can kind of think in that framework and then try and progress along that framework.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So assist, augment, automate as kind of a a one, two, and three. And so it sounds like whatever part of the customer service process we're thinking about, again, we can think through that lens and say, hey, are we jumping a little bit too far ahead? Because we we wouldn't even have the ability to help somebody make a decision if they were a really capable human, Never mind, automate the whole thing. Maybe we Mm. need to stop in this phase. Okay, cool. Another solid lesson on on the adoption side. Hopefully for those of you who are tuned in, this stuff is actionable as can be. Certainly comes from someone who spent a good deal of time focusing on this stuff. Ian, that's one of the many reasons besides your amazing accent that I'm grateful to have you on the program every time we have you here. So thank you so much for joining us again, brother.
1: Thank you again, Dan.
0: So that's all for this episode of the ai and business podcast a giant thank you to ian for being able to join us and share some of his insights and a big thank you to you our listener i'm glad to be able to have you here as a listener if you're not also a newsletter subscriber make sure you don't miss our podcast or miss any of our latest articles infographics and coverage of ai in the enterprise our focus as always is on trends and return on investment what does it look like to adopt This technology, where can it add value and what kind of value can it add? If you want more of that, go to emerj.com slash n1. That's N like newsletter and then the number one. So emerj.com slash n1. And make sure that you're on the newsletter in addition to being here on the podcast. I very much appreciated Ian's frankness in terms of addressing the shortcomings of conversational interfaces and talking in a very bounded reality around where they can actually come in handy. Hopefully that was helpful for some of you who are tuned in as well, too. So appreciate you being here. Looking forward to catching you in the next episode. You're on the AI and Business Podcast.